Part two of The Last Lords of Gerdinal by William Gilbert. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Before mounting their horses, Ludovico held a consultation with his men as to what course they had better adopt, whether they should depart at once or search the neighbourhood for the girl. Both suggestions seemed to be attended with danger. If they delayed their departure, they might be attacked by the peasantry, who by this time were doubtless in hot pursuit of them, and if they returned to the baron without Teresa, they were almost certain to receive a severe punishment for failing in their enterprise. At last, the idea struck Ludovico that a good round lie might possibly succeed with the baron and do something to avert his anger while there was little hope of its in the slightest manner availing with the enraged peasantry. He therefore gave the order for his men to mount their horses, resolving to tell the baron that Teresa had escaped from the flames, and had begged their assistance, but that a number of armed inhabitants of Bormio, chancing to approach, she had sought their protection. A great portion of this statement could be substantiated by his men, as they still fully believed that the figure in white which they had so indistinctly seen was the girl herself. Ludovico and his men, during their homeward journey, had great difficulty in crossing the mountains, in consequence of a heavy fall of snow, for it was now late in the autumn. Next day they arrived at the castle of Gerdinal. It would be difficult to describe the rage of the baron when he heard that his retainers had been unsuccessful in their mission. He ordered Ludovico to be thrown into a dungeon, where he remained for more than a month, and was only then liberated in consequence of the baron needing his services, for some expedition requiring special skill and courage. The other men were also punished, though less severely than their leader, on whom, of course, they laid all the blame. For some time after Ludovico's return, the baron occupied himself in concocting schemes, not only to secure the girl Teresa, for he fully believed the account Ludovico had given of her escape, but to revenge himself on the inhabitants of Bormio for the part they had taken in the affair, and it was to carry out these schemes that he liberated Ludovico from prison. The winter had passed, and the spring sun was rapidly melting the snows on the mountains, when one morning three travel-stained men, having the appearance of respectable burghers, arrived at the hospice, and requested to be allowed an interview with the Innominato. A messenger was dispatched to the castle, who shortly afterwards returned, saying that his master desired the visitors should immediately be admitted into his presence. When they arrived at the castle they found him fully prepared to receive them, a handsome repast being spread out for their refreshment. At first the travellers seemed under some restraint, but this was soon dispelled by the friendly courtesy of the astrologer. After partaking of the viands which had been set before them, the Innominato inquired the object of their visit. One of them, who had been evidently chosen as spokesman, then rose from his chair and addressed their host as follows. 
we have been sent to your excellency by the inhabitants of Bormio, as a deputation, to ask your advice and assistance in a strait we are in at present. Late in the autumn of last year, the Baron Conrad, feudal lord of the Engadine, was on some not very honest expedition in our neighbourhood, when by chance he saw a very beautiful girl of the name of Teresa Bifi, whose father occupied a large farm about half a league from the town. The baron, it appears, became so deeply enamoured of the girl that he afterwards sent a messenger to her father with an offer of marriage for his daughter. Bifi, knowing full well the infamous reputation of the baron, unhesitatingly declined his proposal, and in such indignant terms as to arouse the tyrant's anger to the highest pitch. Determining not only to possess himself of the girl, but to avenge the insult he had received, he sent a body of armed retainers, who in the night attacked the farmer's house, and endeavoured to effect an entrance by breaking open the door. Finding they could not succeed, and after murdering one of the servants who had been sent to a neighbouring village to give the alarm, they set fire to the house, and with the exception of two children who contrived to escape, the whole family, including the young girl herself, perished in the flames. It appears, however, that the baron, doubtless through his agents, received a false report that the young girl had escaped, and was taken under the protection of some of the inhabitants of Bormio. In consequence, he sent another body of armed men, who arrived in the night at the house of the Podesta, and contrived to make his only son, a boy of about fifteen years old, a prisoner, bearing him off to the baron's castle. They left word that unless Teresa Bifi was placed in their power before the first day of May, not only would the youth be put to death, but the baron would also wreak vengeance on the whole town. On the perpetration of this last atrocity, we again applied to the government of Milan for protection, but although our reception was most courteous, and we were promised assistance, we have too good reason to doubt our receiving it. Certainly, up to the present time, no steps have been taken in the matter, nor has a single soldier been sent, although the time named for the death of the child has nearly expired. The townsmen, therefore, having heard of your great wisdom and power, your willingness to help those who are in distress, as well as to protect the weak and oppressed, have sent us to ask you to take them under your protection, as the baron is not a man to scruple at putting such a threat into execution. The Innominato, who had listened to the delicate with great patience and attention, told him that he had no soldiers or retainers at his orders, while the baron, whose wicked life was known to him, had many. But your excellency has great wisdom, and from all we have heard we feel certain that you could protect us. Your case, said the Innominato, is a very sad one, I admit, and you certainly ought to be protected from the baron's machinations. I will not disguise from you that I have the power to help you. Tell the unhappy Podesta that he need be under no alarm as to his son's safety, and that I will oblige the baron to please him. 
my aunt tells me that the boy is still alive though confined in prison as for your friends who sent you to me tell them that the baron shall do them no harm all you have to do is to contrive some means by which the baron may hear that the girl teresa beefy has been placed by me where he will never find her without my permission but teresa beefy said the delicate perished with her father and the baron will wreak his vengeance both on you and us when he finds you cannot place the girl in his power fear nothing but obey my orders said the innominato do what i have told you and i promise you shall have nothing to dread from him the sooner you carry out my directions the better the deputation now returned to bormio and related all that had taken place at their interview with the innominato although the result of their mission was scarcely considered satisfactory they determined after much consideration to act on the astrologer's advice but how to carry it out was a very difficult matter this was however overcome by one of the chief inhabitants of the town a man of most determined courage offering himself as a delegate to the baron to convey to him the innominato's message without hesitation the offer was gratefully accepted and the next day he started on his journey no sooner had he arrived at the castle of gerdinal and explained the object of his mission than he was ushered into the presence of the baron whom he found in the great hall surrounded by a numerous body of armed men well said the baron as soon as the delegate had entered have your townspeople come to their senses at last and sent me the girl teresa no they have not baron was the reply for she is not in their custody all they can do is to inform you where you may possibly receive some information about her and where may that be the only person who knows where she may be found is the celebrated astrologer who lives in a castle near laco ah now you are trifling with me said the baron sternly you must be a great fool or a very bold man to try such an experiment as that i am neither the one nor the other your excellency nor am i trifling with you what i have told you is the simple truth and how did you learn it from the innominato's own lips then you applied to him for assistance against me said the baron furiously that is hardly correct your excellency said the delegate it is true we applied to him for advice as to the manner in which we should act in case you should attack us and put your threat into execution respecting the son of the podesta and what answer did he give you just what i have told you that he alone knows where teresa beefy is to be found and that you could not remove her from the protection she is under without his permission did he send that message to me in defiance said the baron i have no reason to believe so your excellency the baron was silent for some time he then inquired of the delegate how many armed retainers the innominato kept none i believe was the reply at any rate there were none to be seen when the deputation from the town visited him 
the baron was again silent for some moments and seemed deeply absorbed in thought he would rather have met with any other opponent than the innominato whose reputation was well known to him and whose learning he dreaded more than the power of any nobleman no matter how many armed retainers he could bring against him i very much suspect he said at last that some deception is being practised on me but should my suspicion be correct i shall exact terrible vengeance i shall detain you he continued turning abruptly and fiercely on the delegate as a hostage while i visit the innominato and if i do not succeed with him you shall die on the same scaffold as the son of your podesta it was in vain that the delegate protested against being detained as a prisoner saying that it was against all rules of knightly usage but the baron would not listen to reason and the unfortunate man was immediately hurried out of the hall and imprisoned although the baron by no means liked the idea of an interview with the innominato he immediately made preparations to visit him and the day after the delegate's arrival he set out on his journey attended by only four of his retainers it should here be mentioned that it is more than probable the baron would have avoided meeting the innominato on any other occasion whatever so great was the dislike he had to him he seemed to be acting under some fatality some power seemed to impel him in his endeavours to obtain teresa which it was impossible to account for the road chosen by the baron to reach the castle of the innominato was rather a circuitous one in the first place he did not consider it prudent to pass through the faultlina in the second he thought that by visiting his brother on his way he might be able to obtain some particulars as to the character of the mysterious individual whom he was about to see as his reputation would probably be better known among the inhabitants of the bergamo district than by those in the valley of the engadine the baron arrived safely at his brother's castle where the reports which had hitherto indistinctly reached him of the wonderful power and skill of the astrologer were fully confirmed after remaining a day with his brother the baron started for leco under an assumed name he stayed here for two days in order that he might receive the report of one of his men whom he had sent forward to ascertain whether the innominato had any armed men in his castle for being capable of any act of treachery himself he naturally suspected treason in others the man in due time returned and reported that although he had taken great pains to find out the truth he was fully convinced that not only were there no soldiers in the castle but that it did not to the best of his belief contain an arm of any kind the innominato relying solely on his occult power for his defence perfectly assured that he had no danger to apprehend the baron left leco attended by his retainers and in a few hours afterwards he arrived at the hospice where his wish for an interview was conveyed to the astrologer after some delay a reply was sent that the innominato was willing to receive the baron 
on condition that he came alone, as his retainers would not be allowed to enter the castle. The baron hesitated for some moments, not liking to place himself in the power of a man who, after all, might prove a very dangerous adversary, and who might even use treacherous means. His love for Teresa Bifi, however, urged him to accept the invitation, and he accompanied the messenger to the castle. The Enominato received his guest with stern courtesy, and, without even asking him to be seated, requested to know the object of his visit. "'Perhaps I am not altogether unknown to you,' said the baron. "'I am lord of the Engadine.' "'Frankly,' said the Enominato, "'your name and reputation are both well known to me. "'It would give me great satisfaction were they less so.' I regret to hear you speak in that tone, said the baron, evidently making great efforts to repress his rising passion. A person in my position is not likely to be without enemies, but it rather surprises me to find a man of your reputation so prejudiced against me without having investigated the accusations laid to my charge. You judge wrongly if you imagine that I am so, said the Enominato. But once more, will you tell me the object of your visit? I understood, said the baron, by a message sent to me by the insolent inhabitants of Bormio, that you know the person with whom a young girl, named Teresa Bifi, is at present residing. Might I ask if that statement is correct? I hardly sent it in those words, said the Enominato, but admitting it to be so, I must first ask your reason for inquiring. I have not the slightest objection to inform you, said the baron. I have nothing to conceal. I wish to make her my wife. On those terms I am willing to assist you, said the astrologer, but only on the condition that you immediately release the messenger you have most unjustly confined in one of your dungeons, as well as the young son of the Podesta, and that you grant them a safe escort back to Bormio. And further that you promise to cease annoying the people of that district. Do all this, and I am willing to promise you that Teresa Bifi shall not only become your wife, but shall bring with her a dowry and wedding outfit sufficiently magnificent even for the exalted position to which you propose to raise her. I solemnly promise you, said the baron, that the moment the wedding is over, the delegate from Bormio and the son of the Podesta shall both leave my castle, perfectly free and unhampered with any conditions, and moreover that I will send a strong escort with them to protect them on their road. I see you are already meditating treachery, said the Enominato, but I will not, in any manner, alter my offer. The day week after their safe return to Bormio, Teresa Bifi shall arrive at the castle of Gerdino for the wedding ceremony. Now you distinctly know my conditions, and I demand from you an unequivocal acceptance or refusal. What security shall I have that the bargain will be kept on your side? said the baron. My word, and no other. The baron remained silent for a moment, and then said, I accept your offer. 
but clearly understand me in my turn sir astrologer fail to keep your promise and had you ten times the power you have i will take my revenge on you and i am not a man to threaten such a thing without doing it all that i am ready to allow said the innominato with great coolness that is to say in case you have the power to carry out your threat which in the present instance you have not do not imagine that because i am not surrounded by a band of armed cut-throats and miscreants i am not the stronger of the two you little dream how powerless you are in my hands you see this bird he continued taking down a common sparrow in a wooden cage from a nail in the wall on which it hung it is not more helpless in my hands than you are nay more i will now give the bird far greater power over you than i possess over it as he spoke he unfastened the door of the cage and the sparrow darted from it through the window into the air and in a moment afterwards was lost to sight that bird the astrologer went on to say will follow you till i deprive it of the power i bear you no malice for doubting my veracity falsehood is too much a portion of your nature for you to disbelieve its existence in others i will not seek to punish you for the treachery which i am perfectly sure you will soon be imagining against me without giving you fair warning for a traitor yourself you naturally suspect treason in others as soon as you entertain a thought of evading your promise to release your prisoners or conceive any treason or ill-feeling against me that sparrow will appear to you if you instantly abandon the thought no harm will follow but if you do not a terrible punishment will soon fall upon you in whatever position you may find yourself at the moment the bird will be near you and no skill of yours will be able to harm it the baron now left the innominato and returned with his men to leco where he employed himself for the remainder of the day in making preparations for his homeward journey to return by the circuitous route he had taken in going to leco would have occupied too much time as he was anxious to arrive at his castle that he might without delay release the prisoners and make preparations for his wedding with teresa beefy to pass the voltolina openly with his retainers which was by far the shortest road would have exposed him to too much danger he therefore resolved to divide his party and send three men back by his brother's castle so that they could return the horses they had borrowed then he would disguise himself and the fourth man a german who could not speak a word of italian and from whom he had nothing therefore to fear on the score of treachery as two tyrolese merchants returning to their own country he also purchased two mules and some provisions for the journey so that they need not be obliged to rest in any of the villages they passed through where possibly they might be detected and probably maltreated next morning the baron and his servant together with the two mules went on board a large bark which was manned by six men and which he had hired for the occasion and in it they started for colico at the commencement of their voyage they kept along the eastern side of the lake 
but after advancing a few miles the wind which had hitherto been moderate now became so strong as to cause much fatigue to the rowers and the captain of the bark determined on crossing the lake so as to be under the lee of the mountains on the other side when halfway across they came in view of the turrets of the castle of the Anominato. the sight of the castle brought to the baron's mind his interview with its owner and the defiant manner in which he had been treated by him the longer he gazed the stronger became his anger against the Anominato and at last it rose to such a point that he exclaimed aloud to the great surprise of the men in the boat some day i will meet thee again thou insolent villain and i will then take signal vengeance on thee for the insult offered me yesterday the words had hardly been uttered when a sparrow apparently driven from the shore by the wind settled on the bark for a moment and then flew away the baron instantly remembered what the Anominato had said to him, and also the warning the bird was to give. With a sensation closely resembling fear, he tried to change the current of his thoughts, and was on the point of turning his head from the castle, when the rowers in the boat simultaneously set up a loud shout of warning, and the baron then perceived that a heavily laden vessel, four times the size of his own, and with a huge sail set, was running before the wind with great velocity threatening the next moment to strike his boat on the beam in which case both he and the men would undoubtedly be drowned fortunately the captain of the strange bark had heard the cry of the rowers and by rapidly putting down his helm saved their lives though the baron's boat was struck with so much violence on the quarter that she nearly sank the baron conrad had now received an earnest that the threat of the Anominato was not a vain one, and feeling that he was entirely in his power, resolved if possible not to offend him again. The boat continued on her voyage, and late in the evening arrived safely at Colico, where the baron, with his servant and the mules, disembarked, and without delay proceeded on their journey. They continued on their road till nightfall, when they began to consider how they should pass the night they looked around them but they could perceive no habitation or shelter of any kind and it was now raining heavily they continued their journey onwards and had almost come to the conclusion that they should be obliged to pass the night in the open air when a short distance before them they saw a low cottage the door of which was open showing the dim light of a fire burning within the baron now determined to ask the owner of the cottage for permission to remain there for the night but to be certain that no danger could arise he sent forward his man to discover whether it was a house standing by itself or one of a village as in the latter case he would have to use great caution to avoid being detected his servant accordingly left him to obey orders and shortly afterwards returned with the news that the house was a solitary one and that he could not distinguish a trace of any other in the neighbourhood satisfied with this information the baron proceeded to the cottage door and begged the inmates to afford him shelter for the night assuring them that the next morning he would remunerate them handsomely the peasant and his wife a sickly-looking emaciated old couple gladly offered them all the accommodation the wretched cabin could afford 
after fastening up the mules at the back of the house, and bringing in the baggage and some dry fodder to form a bed for the baron and his servant, they prepared some of the food their guests had brought with them for supper, and shortly afterwards the baron and his servant were fast asleep. Next morning they rose early and continued on their journey. After they had been some hours on the road, the baron, who had before been conversing with his retainer, suddenly became silent and absorbed in thought. He rode on a few paces in advance of the man, thinking over the conditions made by the innominato, when the idea struck him whether it would not be possible in some way to evade them. He had hardly entertained the thought when the sparrow flew rapidly before his mule's head, and then instantly afterwards his servant, who had ridden up to him, touched him on the shoulder and pointed to a body of eight or ten armed men, about a quarter of a mile distant, who were advancing towards them. The baron, fearing lest they might be some of the armed inhabitants of the neighbourhood who were banded together against him, and seeing that no time was to be lost, immediately plunged, with his servant, into a thick copse where, without being seen, he could command a view of the advancing soldiers as they passed. He perceived that when they came near the place where he was concealed they halted, and evidently set about examining the traces of the footsteps of the mules. They communed together for some time, as if in doubt what course they should adopt, and finally, the leader giving the order, they continued their march onwards, and the baron shortly afterwards left his place of concealment. Nothing further worthy of notice occurred that day, and late at night they passed through Bormio, fortunately without being observed. They afterwards arrived safely at the foot of the mountain pass, and at dawn began the ascent. The day was fine and calm, and the sun shone magnificently. The baron, who now calculated that the dangers of his journey were over, was in high spirits and familiarly conversed with his retainer. When they had reached a considerable elevation, the path narrowed so that the two could not ride abreast, and the baron went in advance. He now became very silent and thoughtful, all his thoughts being fixed on the approaching wedding, and in speculations as to how short a time it would take for the delegate and the youth to reach Bormio. Suddenly the thought occurred to him whether the men whom he should send to escort the hostages back could not, when they had completed their business, remain concealed in the immediate neighbourhood till after the celebration of the wedding, and then bring back with them some other hostage, and thus enable him to make further demands for compensation for the insult he considered had been offered him. Although the idea had only been vaguely formed, and possibly with but little intention of carrying it out, he had an immediate proof that the power of the astrologer was following him. A sparrow settled on the ground before him, and did not move until his mule was close to it, when it rose in the air right before his face. He continued to follow its course with his eyes, and as it rose higher, he thought he perceived a tremulous movement in an immense mass of snow, which had accumulated at the base of one of the mountain peaks. All thought of treachery immediately vanished. He gave a cry of alarm to his servant, and they both hurried onwards, thus barely escaping being buried in an avalanche, 
which the moment afterwards overwhelmed the path they had crossed. The Baron was now more convinced than ever of the tremendous power of the Innominato, and so great was his fear of him, that he resolved for the future not to contemplate any treachery against him, or entertain any thoughts of revenge. The day after the Baron's arrival at the castle of Gerdinal, he ordered the delegate and the Podestar's son to be brought into his presence. Assuming a tone of much mildness and courtesy, he told them he much regretted the inconvenience they had been put to, but that the behaviour of the inhabitants of Bormio had left him no alternative. He was ready to admit that the delegate had told him the truth, although from the interview he had with the Innominato, he was by no means certain that the inhabitants of their town had acted in a friendly manner towards him, or were without blame in the matter. Still, he did not wish to be harsh, and was willing for the future to be on friendly terms with them, if they promised to cease insulting him. What possible affront they could have offered him, it would be difficult to say. At the same time, in justice to myself, he continued, his natural cupidity gaining the ascendant at the moment, I hardly think I ought to allow you to return without the payment of some fair ransom. He had scarcely uttered these words when a sparrow flew in at the window, and darting wildly two or three times across the hall, left by the same window through which it had entered. Those present who noticed the bird looked at it with an eye of indifference, but not so the baron. He knew perfectly well that it was a warning from the astrologer, and he looked around him to see what accident might have befallen him, had he continued the train of thought. Nothing of an extraordinary nature followed the disappearance of the bird. The baron now changed the conversation, and told his prisoners that they were at liberty to depart as soon as they pleased, and that, to prevent any misfortune befalling them on the road, he would send four of his retainers to protect them. In this he kept his promise to the letter, and a few days afterwards the men returned, reporting that the delegate and the son of the Podesta had both arrived safely at their destination. End of Part 2